We're in a series called Taking What Belongs to Us. We're in the book of Joshua, chapter 8 today. We're talking about comebacks. The Israelites are going to make a big comeback from a very upsetting loss they took in a battle at Ai. Here's what it says. Now the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid nor be dismayed. Take all the people of war with you all the people of war with you, and arise, go up to Ai. See, I have given you into your hand the king of Ai, his people, his city, his land, and you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil and its cattle you shall take as booty for yourselves. He let them have the spoil on this one. Lay an ambush for the city behind it. So Joshua arose and the people of, and all the people of war to go up against Ai, and Joshua chose 30,000 mighty men of war, of valor, and sent them away by night. Come on down towards the end of this chapter. We're going to cover the whole chapter, but it says, Now Joshua built an altar to the Lord God of Israel at Mount Ebal, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the children of Israel, as it is written in the book of the Law of Moses an altar of whole stones over which no man has wielded an iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And there in the presence of the children of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. Then all Israel with the elders and officers and judges stood on either side of the ark before the priests, the Levites who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord, the strangers as well as those who were born among them, half of them were in front of Mount Gerizim, and half of them were in front of Mount Ebal, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded before, that they should bless the people of Israel. And afterward he read all the words of the law, the blessings and the cursings, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded, which Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel with the women and the little ones and the strangers who were living among them. I'm going to go back and see how old some of you are in here today. I'm going back to 1962. There was a song that became popular. I don't know if you remember it. You can tell me if you remember it afterwards. It said, my boomerang won't come back. <laughs> my boomerang won't come back. My boomerang won't come back. I've waved the thing all over the place. Practice till I was black in the face. I'm a big disgrace to the Aborigine race. My boomerang won't come back. How many of y'all remember that song? That was a real touching love song right there, wasn't it? Uh, today we're talking about a comeback. One of the biggest upsets in Israel's history took place, we talked about it last week, the Battle of Ai. They just had an amazing victory at Jericho. God did a miraculous thing, brought the walls down. They took the mighty fortress of Jericho. The next little hick town that came to, Ai, they didn't even ask God about it. They were very cocky, very overconfident. They said, we don't need to take but two or 3,000 people. We can take care of these people without many soldiers. Let everybody else rest up. And they got a whooping. They got a terrible whooping. They went down quickly. So this is their comeback. This is the time they're going back, uh, make one of the great comebacks in history. There's been some great comebacks in life. Muhammad Ali was, I feel, one of the greatest boxers ever lived. He called himself the greatest for sure. Uh, but one thing that made him great 
not with just his skill, but he was defeated for the heavyweight championship three times, and he came back to beat that person that beat him to regain the championship. Frank Sinatra, 1971, he was ready to give up singing. His day and his music was over, and now we're getting into the Beatles and the Beach Boys and the Rolling Stone, and Elvis was still popular, and his type of music was kind of going by the wayside, so he was ready to retire, but he made a comeback, and for the next 20 years, he had a great comeback. He had one of his biggest hits, New York, New York, in 1980, so his second career uh, was quite a comeback. The Minnesota Vikings in 2022 <coughs> were behind the Indianapolis Colts 33 to nothing at half and came back and beat them. The greatest comeback in NFL history. Houston Rockets were down 76 to 68 to the San Antonio Spurs with 42 seconds to go. Eight points behind in basketball. Tracy McGrady scored 13 points. The Rockets scored 15 points in the last 30-something seconds and won a game, 81 to 80. There's been other countries that's come back, Japan, France, Italy, Germany. After World War II, there were a lot of them in shambles and rumbles, and the United States helped a lot of them, but they came back to become powerful nations. You remember the old commercial? I used to hate this commercial, but now that I've gotten a little older, I've, I understand it a little bit better. I've fallen, I can't get up. Uh, that was that aggravated me so much. But I've fallen a few times. I don't have the balance I used to. And uh, you can get up. Jimbo can tell you this in football. Our coach, Dwight Maples, sometimes somebody get hurt in practice and wind knocked out of them or hurt their leg or something like that. And he'd come along and say, get up, you're killing the grass. He had very little compassion. But we're going to get up today and we're going to see Israel get up and make a comeback. Let's look at the Christian. Let's talk about the Christian and defeats. Defeats in life, first of all. Life is filled with wins and losses. And sometimes we lose more than we like to admit. Charlie Brown, the old Peanuts character, who was called the lovable loser. The old song said, if it weren't for bad luck, he'd have no luck at all. He constantly lost. And he, and he struggled. There was a book written called Break Open the Sky, and he said, the author said, failure in life is more common than success. He said this in his book, 75% of venture capital startup companies fail. Three out of four fail. 40% of CEOs do not last over 18 months. 99% of people that get a new patent, you know you get a new idea and you want to get a patent on that so nobody steal it. 99% of new patents never earn one penny of money. 95% of new products introduced in a given year fail. 88% of those that come up with a New Year's resolution, they're going to do this this year. 88% of them don't make it. Most of them don't make it out of January. Uh, one hockey coach named Harry Neal, he had a horrible team. They lost about every game at home, and they lost all the road games. And he said this at the end of the season, my problem was I could not think of another place to play. Uh, we, we lost everywhere we played. We just needed another place. Defeat in the Christian life happens more than we realize, too. We sing victory in Jesus, and in the name of Jesus, we have the victory, and we believe that. But sometimes we lose, not because of Jesus, because of us. Sometimes we struggle. Sometimes we go down. Sometimes we get tripped up by the same thing over and over again. 
There was a woman named Portia Nelson. She wrote a little short autobiography. She said, this is my autobiography in five chapters, and here's where it was. I walk down the street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. It takes a long time getting out. Chapter 2, I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I pretend I don't see it. I fall in again. Chapter 3, I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it there. I still fall in. It's a habit. Chapter 4, I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. Chapter 5, I walk down a different street. Uh, sometimes that's the way we seem to process things. A lot of times when we are defeated, when we fail, we blame everybody else or blame God for it. There's a lady, uh, Hung Yang sent us a little memo this week. It was an article by Will Graham, Billy Graham's grandson in Decision Magazine, I believe it was, about a woman named Megan Rapinoe. She's a famous woman soccer player. I don't know the woman. I don't care for her uh, theology for sure. But she was playing in her final game, and she got her Achilles messed up, got injured in the final game, messed up her Achilles, and she let out quite a few expletives. But she also said this, I'm not a religious person or anything, but this is proof there is no God. Like the proof of God depends on her not getting hurt. Uh, anyway, there's a lot of people, when they are defeated, they don't know how to handle it. So we're going to talk today about how do you come back after you've been defeated. God will lead you back. First of all, getting back up after defeats. We have a God of second chances in third and fourth and fifth and sixth. Can you say amen to that? Uh, as long as long as this, failure is not final in the kingdom of God. As long as his mercy is still flowing, as long as the blood of Jesus Christ still has power in it, as long as the cross still stands, as long as there's breath in our body and we're willing to call out to him, we don't have to stay defeated. We don't have to stay defeated at all. Uh, the Bible says that uh, tongues will cease one day. It says knowledge will vanish away, but his love is everlasting and it never fails. Henry Ford said this, a mistake or a failure is an opportunity to begin again more intelligently. As long as you know why you failed, you can start over and start with a different attitude. Now, Joshua knew why they failed. God told him, he said, well, there was a lot of reasons. One of them is y'all were overconfident. You didn't come to me. Uh, you got one guy in there that did exactly what I said not to do, and he took some of the spoils from Jericho and put it under his tent and everything. And that's why y'all were defeated at the little town of Ai. So he knew what the problem was. Um, the biggest thing you can, biggest mistake you can make if you fail when you're walking with the Lord is to not get up and run to him. Paul Harvey said this. Somebody asked him, what's the definition of success? He said, here's the definition of success. I get up when I fall down. I get back up. There's two big obstacles. When you fall, when you stumble, when you mess up with the Lord, you get discouraged and want to stay back, and you get fearful about going forward. Y'all remember the old saying, what, what are you supposed to do whenever you get thrown off a horse? Get back on it. That's what I do. I don't get back on the same horse, but I get back on a horse. Uh, anyway, so you got to, let's look at what God says to do when it comes to the God of second chances. First of all, you've got to address your fear. Now they've been humiliated. They're afraid. Here's what he said the first part of verse 1. 
Now the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid. Now remember they went to Ai the first time cocky. They didn't even need to take everybody. And they, they lost 36 men and left running for their life. So they were humiliated. Do not be afraid or dismayed. Take all the people of war with you and arise and go up to Ai. I remember when we were playing football. This is back a long time ago. Uh, we were playing Cross City. We had a pretty good team. And uh, this is about the, I think, probably about the eighth game of the year or something. And uh, I had not thrown an interception all year. And I thought, well, I'm going to go the whole year without throwing an interception. And then the Cross City game, was throwing a pass out to the sideline, which is a long throw, and I was a little bit late in getting it off. And a boy intercepted it. And not only intercepted it, ran it for a touchdown. I was ticked off and mad and, and uh, not only threw an interception, but give them a touchdown too. And I didn't throw another pass that game. I just, no, I would just run it. We won the game, but that was the end of that. You watch a little, little league baseball game, and them boys are paying attention that that boy up the back gets hit, it filters throughout the whole team. They get to think, uh-oh. And it makes them, makes them skittish a little bit. Uh, there's a lot of times we get afraid after we failed, and we, we don't want to go through that again. Uh, and we beat ourselves up or whatever it might be. In verse 1, he said, fear not. There are 365 fear nots in the Bible, one for each day of the year. God's telling us constantly, don't be afraid to get going again. Here's what uh, research says. Children 12 to 19 months trying to learn how to walk. They, they, they studied it and said they average falling down 17 times an hour. That's having to get back up a lot, isn't it? You probably didn't learn to ride a bike the first time either. I guarantee you probably fell down. So God says it's time to get up and go right back to AI. He said, let's, let's leave them alone. Let's go somewhere else. He said, no, you go right back to AI, back to where you failed. Here's the second thing. Tune in to God. Look at verse one and two here. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. And you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho. Uh-oh, they're in trouble. And its king. Only its spoil and its cattle you shall take as booty for yourselves. In other words, you get to keep the spoils. Whenever you whip them people, you can take all their possessions and all the things, like their jewelry, their treasures, whatever you can keep it for yourself. Lay an ambush for the city behind it. Okay, now, we know why they lost the first time. Achan took the spoil when he was told not to. That spoil was supposed to come to the Lord, to the treasury of the Lord, first, first fruit, so to speak. They were very overconfident. This time he says, go back. And he says this, and you need to understand this. They all went. Take all the, the soldiers this time. They only took 3,000 the first time and got a bad whip. Let me say this. If you don't give your all, whatever you're doing for the Lord, you'll lose. You can't do it halfway. You, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Take the whole armor of God. Some of you say, well, I've got it. A sword, I've got this. No, you better have a helmet on and a breastplate and you better have the feet shot and uh, your loins girded about with truth. You've got to have the whole armor on. 
You cannot give God half-hearted effort and expect God to bless you. A lot of times we do our thing and expect God to bless what we do while we do our thing. No, you need to find out what God's thing is that he's blessing and start doing that instead of expecting him to do what your thing is. Anyway, this whole chapter is about, or this chapter, this whole book is about taking what God has provided for us, trying to, trying to possess what God's provided for us. He says this to him the second time. Go back in there. This time you can take a spoil. You can have what, just think about it. If Achan would have not done that in Jericho, he could have had the spoil in Ai. But he was covetous and he was greedy and he couldn't wait on that. Uh, I'll tell you what, and no matter, even though he took that spoil, he couldn't enjoy it. He's hiding it under his tent. He can't go around and say, look what I found, what we, I got in Jericho. Let me say this about Christians. You can't sin and enjoy it as a child of God. You can't do that. It just doesn't work. Anyway, I always say this is a picture of tithing. And you say, how do you get that? Here's, here's what God's saying. When you go to a city, the first of it comes to me. This, after that, it comes to you. And then after that, I'll bless you and so on and so forth. That's what tithing is. First thing you need to understand about tithing, everything you've got belongs to God. Amen. Oh, you say, yeah, but God didn't work for it like I work for it. No, everything you've got belongs to God. Right. Oh, one woman come to church, and they were passing the offering plate. They had a little boy there, and he had a couple dollars, and he didn't want to put it in the plate. She said, put that in there. That money's tainted. And he threw it in there. He said, what do you mean it's tainted? You got something on She said, taint yours and taint mine either. It's God. <laughs> uh, second thing. He said, he, after he said, you bring the first fruit to me, the second is yours. You can have it. And that's what tithing is. God says, you can live off the rest of it as a good steward. And that opens the windows of heaven so I can bless you. And I can have a, be a part of your life. So here's what they did. He said, listen to me. This time they're listening to God's directions. This is a different battle. Don't rely on past mis- methods. I'm not going to read all that, but it's verse 3 through 13. I won't read it at all. But I'll, I'll give you a synopsis of it. Here's what it says. Remember in Jericho, they're supposed to walk around the city six days. Once a day, keep your mouth shut. The only ones making noise is the priest blowing the trumpet. At the end of each day, you go back to camp. On the seventh day, you march around it seven times. And at the end of it, they're going to blow the horn and everybody shout and the walls come falling down. And that's the way it worked. Not the same method this time. Not the same uh, operating here's what he's going to tell them this time this time we're going in there at night and i'm going to divide y'all up some of y'all are going to go in on this side and when they come out to attack you here's here was their plan when they come out they see you they come out to attack you take off running and they're going to chase you and the other half that's on the other side they're going to come in there and strip the city that was the plan and that's what happened the israelites come in there with their plan Looked like, and the men of Ai and the king said, there they are, let's go get them. We'll run them out there like we did the first time. They went out, they were very confident, and they left the city wide open. And Joshua held out his spear, and that was a signal, come in from the other side, boys, and take the city. They burnt that place to the ground. Let me say this. If you want to come back with the Lord, you've got to realize God does not always do things the same way each time. Now, we like to quote the Scripture. Behold, I'm the Lord, I change not. 
God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's talking about God's character. But his methods can change from time to time. He doesn't do everything the same way every time. We're people of routine. We like to do it. The same. If it worked one time, it'll work again, the way we think. Not always. I've heard people say, uh, the night I was filled with the Holy Ghost, I was in the corner of the church on my back laying down there. So if you do that, that might work for you. The night I got saved, the preacher was preaching on hellfire, and they sang an invitation, uh, Lord, I'm coming home. If they would just do that, I believe people would get saved. We're looking for a little trick. Man, I remember one service we did this, and God broke out a great revival in that church. We need to do that again. We always want to go back to what we did in the past and think that's the key. It's not necessarily the key. The key is listening to God. The key is following what the Lord says. But anyway, he's doing something different. Now, when he, when he did the miracle at Jericho, that was a miraculous thing. I mean, you just shout and the walls come down. You go in there and take the city. That's a real miraculous thing. The way they're going to do it at Ai, God's got a strategy. Call them out. Uh, the, go in there and take the city. Sometimes God does brings healing, brings deliverance, brings things to our life that's miraculous and instantaneous. And sometimes it looks pretty like just normal things, but God's still in it. Don't think that God has to do things the same way time after time. Uh, so that's what they're doing. He's given them a brand new method. They've got to follow his method, and they're going to have victory. Now let's look at the comeback. This is in verse 14 through 29. We won't read all that, but I'm going to read some of it. Let's, we'll take it a little at a time. Look at the battle itself, 14 through 17. Kind of what I just told you, but I'm going to read it to you again. Now it happened when the king of Ai saw it, he saw the Israelites out there, that the men of the city hurried and rose early and went out against Israel to battle. And he and all his people, hey man, they, 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 everybody took it off after him, at an appointed place before the plain. But he did not know that there was an ambush against him behind the city. He didn't know that they had a whole other group behind him. And Joshua and all Israel made as if they were beaten before. They took off running like y'all whipping us again and fled away by the wilderness. So all the people who were in Ai were called together to pursue them. Here they go, after them. And they pursued Joshua and were drawn away from the city. There was not a man left in Ai or Bethel who did not go out after Israel. So they left the city open and pursued Israel. You see the picture again. They made a bad mistake. Made a bad mistake. Matthew Henry said we're the most in danger when we're least aware of what's going on around us. Uh, the men of Ai were very overconfident. They're going after them. Uh, let's see, look at verse 26. Here's, a, here's that scripture that everybody struggles with. For Joshua did not drove did not draw back his hand. He raised his spear, in other words, and that's the signal for them to go in and take the city. He did not draw back his hand with which he stretched out the spear until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai. He killed them all. And they, burnt, they, they set the city on fire when they saw the smoke. Uh, the, the people from Ai looked up there and saw their city on fire, and the Israelites saw it on fire. They knew that they'd done taking the city, and then they, they whipped on the, the men of Ai and, and put, them, put them down, put them out of their misery, so to speak. They did not kill the king right away. But before the sun went down, they, they had run a spear through him and hung him up there for everybody to see. A little graphic, I know that. 
And then just before the sundown, they threw him down at the gate of the city and piled a bunch of rocks on him. Don't think. Look at that. I just can't believe God's telling them to wipe out all these good people. These are not good people. These are people meeting their judgment. Yeah, but the kids, well, look at it this way. If you believe like we all tend to believe that before a child reaches the age of accountability, they go into heaven, those kids get to go to heaven. But once they knew what they were doing, they were facing the judgment of God. And, and this world's facing the judgment of God one day. Don't forget that. I, I, I like the old story of the little boy, a little 10-year-old boy was out there in the backyard digging a hole. And his neighbor saw him out there, didn't pay no attention to him, but he'd been out there for two or three hours digging. Finally, the old neighbor, old man walked over to the boy and said, Son, what are you doing? He said, I'm digging. What are you digging? He said, I'm digging a grave. Oh, digging a grave? Why are you digging a grave? He said, because my little pet hamster's dead. He said, that's a mighty big hole for a little bitty hamster. Where is your hamster? He said, it's in that big dog of yours' stomach. So a lot of times, uh, judgment was coming to him. He didn't realize it, or whether he realized it or not, it was coming. Anyway, uh, so let's, look, let's break this down a little bit farther. Look at the spoils. Verse 27. Only the livestock and the spoil of that city Israel took as booty for themselves. They got some steers they got to eat some hamburger and steak. According to the word of the Lord, which he had commanded Joshua. This time he's saying you can have the spoils of your victory. To the victor goes the spoils this time. First time went to the Lord, this, this, this battle, is, you can have it. Now, Joshua led the people after they burnt the place, threw the king down after he was dead and piled stones on him. They went to a city called Shechem. Shechem was a little bit north of Jerusalem, maybe north-northwest, uh, in Samaria. Now, Shechem is the place where God first called Abraham and told him he's going to make him a great nation and going to give him this land and all this. Shechem was the place, you remember Jacob when he went out there and he, he fell in love with Rachel and ended up getting tricked and married Leah and then he married Rachel and he served Laban, their father, and all this. When he got time for him to leave, he wanted to come back home and he brought his wives with him. His wives brought some of their idols back. When they come to Shechem, he buried them there. Shechem's kind of a place of recommitting your life. Time to bury some th the past and start over. Moses, at the end of his life, when he's preaching, probably, I guess you'd say, his last sermon, because he's not going to get to go in the promised land, and he gathered everybody up, and, and he talked about the blessings and the cursings in Deuteronomy 28 and, and on and on. He said, when y'all get in there, go to Mount Ebal. They're outside of Shechem. And renew this covenant. Read the, the, uh, the blessings and the cursings and, and redo this when you get over there. So they're doing what Moses had told them to do uh, before they ever got into the promised land. They're going to, to read the law once again and express their recommitment to the Lord. Look at what it says in verse 31 through 33. The altar. They had to build an altar. And as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the children of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, 
an altar of whole stones over which no man had wielded an iron tool. In other words, these stones had not been cut or worked on by any man. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And there in the presence of the children of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. Then all Israel and their elders and officers and judges stood on either side of the ark before the priests and Levites who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord. The stranger as well as he who was born among them. So in other words, not just Jews, but those that had joined over the time. Half of them were in the front of Mount Gerizim, and half of them were in front of Mount Ebal, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded before that they should bless the people of Israel. Okay, so he told them to build an altar when they got over there, and they built an altar. Now, this is the fourth altar they've built since they've crossed over to the Canaan, promised land. As soon as they crossed over, the, when the Jordan River divided, they built an altar, a memorial at Gilgal. As soon as they, uh, the next time they built an altar, they built an altar at the Valley of Achor. That's where Achan disobeyed God. It was a memorial. doesn't pay to disobey God. God's judgment had fell there. They put an altar of stones right there at the city of Ai. The, the king of Ai was under it showing what God can do if you'll take if you'll be faithful to him. And now they're building another altar of stones at Mount Ebal, as Moses had told them to do. Monuments are very important. They're memorials to something significant that's taking place that you need to remember. God wants us to remember. I'll tell you this, one of the most sad times uh, in the last few years is when we were in our country tearing down all the monuments and all the statues. That was very frustrating. I ain't saying all the people were good or anything. I don't know, but... It just seemed like we were tearing down things that made us what we are as a country in many ways. But as a preacher, and what these altars are really saying, and we need to remind people all the time, God has places for us to go out there, but it's going to take faith to get it. There is sin out there, and there's always going to be consequences for sin in our life. He's going to, he's going to, he wants us to constantly remind people of that. Never forget every battle that you've won, you need to be thanking and praising God for what he's brought you through and done for you. And really, we need to build our life on the solid rock of Jesus Christ, all other ground seeking sand. All right, look at the law. Look what they did when they got out there in verse 34 and 35. Afterward, he read all the words of the law and blessing and cursing according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded which Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel with the women, the little ones, and the strangers who were living among them. Now, they're standing between two mountains in the valley there, Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. The, half the people are on one side, half are the other. They got the Ark of the Covenant there. And they're going, it's kind of like an amphitheater. He's going, to, he's going to read the law out to them. When he did it in Deuteronomy, he would read whatever the blessing or cursing was, and everybody had to say amen. And amen meant we hear you, we, we, we're abiding by it, we agree with it, or whatever. And so he's doing that here uh, after this victory at Ai. Moses had told him to do that, and uh, they're doing it. And so they're reading all the blessing and cursings of the law, and the people are listening and I think about this, we're, we're all kind of standing in between two mountains, the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. And we're in between 
And I pray that everybody here is making the right decisions with their life and making the right choices. I've got where at night, uh, a lot of times I'll go in the guest bedroom and before I get ready to go to bed and uh, shut off the light and I'll listen to Pandora, or Christian music, whether it's praise music or whatever. I'll just sit there in that dark room and listen for 30 minutes or an hour. Uh, and on Pandora, I don't know if you understand how that works or what, They've got a thumbs up or a thumbs down. If you don't like the song, you put a thumbs down and they won't keep playing that song anymore. If you like a thumbs up, then they, they'll, it'll keep coming back through. And, and that's really the, what God's calling them to do. You've got to make some choices now. You're going to go with me or go against me. And that's what they're having, they're, he's doing. Let me say this. We're all saved by grace. You can't do anything to earn your salvation. God did it all. You just have to repent and believe to receive it. And that's that simple. But through this life, there are times when we get defeated. We take two steps forward, sometimes take three steps backwards, and we fumble and fall. We don't know how to deal with our defeats. We're trying to walk uprightly, and we embarrass ourselves and humiliate God and leave bad testimony, whatever it may be. Life the Christian life is a race. It's not a sprint. It's a long race. It's a long distance race. And we have to make decisions and choices and so forth. Here in about four weeks, they'll start what's called March Madness. March Madness is a college basketball championship. 68 teams make it to the tournament. And once you lose, you're out. And so you're playing. Uh, Hopefully, after the first weekend, you've made it. If you've gotten through your two games, you've made it to the Sweet 16. And if you make it through the next week's two games, you're in the Final Four. And if you win those two games, you're the national champion. Just suppose you're a superstar basketball player on your team. You, you average 28 points, about 10 rebounds, about 6 assists about seven blocks. I mean, you, you're just a real great ball player. You carry your team. Uh, you've you've single-handedly helped win a lot of games for them. But you're in the last game for the championship, the NCAA championship. You're playing, and it comes down, the, the score is 81 to 80. You're behind by one point, and you shoot the final shot, and they foul you. And so you're at the line, time's out. You, gotta make, you get a chance to shoot two free throws, if you make both of them, you're the national champion. If you only make one of those two, you've got to go in overtime and keep trying to play for it. And if you miss them, the other team, you're going to watch them celebrate as the national champion. doesn't matter how much you've done, how many good things you've done, how you've carried your team, whatever. I guarantee if you miss those two, you'll beat yourself up the rest of your life. You'll feel like you personally cost your team even though it just come down to two free throws, you feel like all the other stuff you've done doesn't really matter. You've cost your team the national championship. A lot of people get like that when they fail God. All, they can't get over the discouragement, the disappointment, and they don't know how to deal with it. Let me say this. When we preach on Sundays... At the conclusion, a lot of times we'll say, come down here, or the altars are open. People look at that two different ways. Let me give you an illustration. 
I go to Turning Point, a little place to exercise several times a week. I'm 67 years old. I'm not going to be a bodybuilder. I'm just doing it just to keep from getting completely fat <laughs> and out of shape. It used to be worked at the farm supply place. I could handle 50-pound bags or handle the jugs and stuff like that, get a little exercise. Now I don't want to just get completely sorry. So I go down there. But they laugh at me. My children laugh at me because I only work out for about 15, 20 minutes. <laughs> but let me tell you this. Been doing that for a couple of years or so. There's some people down there that are 100, 150 pounds overweight. There's some people down there that look like they couldn't lift five pounds. Skinny, very weak, and everything in between. There's some people down there that are pretty fit, look like they, you can tell they've been working out pretty hard for a long time. Got all kinds of people. When I see those people down there that's 150 pounds overweight on the treadmill or whatever they're doing, or somebody that's very weak trying to build, I do not look at them and say, wasting their time. I look at them and say, hey, I admire them. They're trying. It's the same way in church. When it comes time to hit the altar or find your place for the Lord, People out there, here's how you see it. I don't want people to think I'm struggling or I'm not where I need to be with the Lord. You know how I see it? I see it as somebody trying to work on their relationship to the Lord. That's somebody wanting to get closer to Jesus. Somebody wanting to address what's going on in their life. And that's what the church is all about. We have defeats. If you, if you don't think anybody knows you had defeats, you've already deceived yourself. We know we got a lot of things we're ashamed of, a lot of things we struggle with, a lot of things that we don't make much progress on. This is not a place that everybody's looking at you and saying, look at that, they've got a, they got a problem because they, they got a bigger problem you got. This is a place where we say, hey, I admire them. They're trying their best to get closer to Jesus. They're trying to grow up in the Lord. They're trying to deal with whatever their issues are. Thank God for people like that. And that's what the church is all about. And so whenever, whenever we come at the end, there, we've got people in this church that long to pray for people. It's like they feel like that's their ministry. They want to pray for somebody and say, hey, I want to believe God with you and pray. So when we say, let's pray, if you don't mind somebody praying with you, come down here and stand. Somebody come and pray with you. If you say, oh, mine's a little more personal, well, come down here and kneel at an altar and they'll know it's private. But our job here as a church, we're supposed to be growing. Growing in the grace. We, we, we're trying to work out. We're trying to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord. We're trying to deal with our failures, our defeats, our weaknesses, our problems, our sins, and whatever it may be. And if we don't have that, then we're not much. We're just a religious organization. And if we can't grow and if we can't love one another and, and say, hey, man, I appreciate anybody that's trying to draw closer to Jesus. If we lose that, we've lost it all. I want you to stand with me. Comebacks.
comebacks. They made a comeback. Thank God. All of us need that. All of us need that. I'm not going to invite everybody down here. When I invite everybody, usually most everybody will come because it's like a cattle drive. It's that I don't want people thinking things about me when I come by myself. That's where you're thinking all wrong. I'm looking at you and say, hey, there's somebody that cares about their walk with Jesus. Those that stand back and never have a problem, those are people that are playing games possibly with God, unfortunately. So I ain't trying to con you, manipulate you, anything, but the church is a place where we can get healing. We can get prayer. We can get people to say, hey, I'm joining with you. I feel what you're going through. I'm with you, brother, sister. That's what the house of God's all about. So we're going to close out in prayer. If you'd like to spend some time in prayer, if you want to be left alone, just come and kneel somewhere. If you want somebody to pray with you, just keep standing. Somebody wants to pray with you, I can promise you. But let's close out this service today. Let's see if we can't make some comebacks in our own life. And I'll just invite, if you want to come, you can come. I ain't pressuring you, but if you want to, don't look at it as a weakness. Look at it as, hey, I'm running a race and I'm trying my best to run close to Jesus. Heavenly Father, here we are. Here's the church of the living God. Men and women, we all struggle. We all fall. We're skinned up. We're bruised. God, if we can't trust the family of God, if we can't feel like we're not going to be judged as something weak or somebody with problems, God, then we are not the church that you're pleased with. I pray today, God, you see hearts and lives. Some people, they're exercising. They're exercising their faith. They're saying, I want to build up. I want to deal with this. I want to lose this thing that's holding me back. I pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, minister to every heart and every life today that's struggling. Anybody that needs special prayer, you just stand or you raise your hand. Somebody's going to come pray with you. We ain't broadcasting it to nobody. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your love. We thank you for your grace, and we thank you for those who are working out today. Thank you, God. Honor their faith. Honor their humility. Honor their commitment. Honor their repentance. Honor their desire to draw nigh to you, and you said you'd draw nigh to us. That's our desire, Lord. I pray for the church of the living God. May we truly be a church of healing, a hospital for those who are sick, a place of refuge for those that are running and are guilty. God, may we truly receive the love of Jesus in this place. Because if, if this is not a place where we can be loved and cared for, we have no place to go. Thank you, God, for the church. Thank you for the body of Christ. And thank you for children of God that say, Here am I, Lord. Help me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Come back tonight for prayer and praise. Thank you for coming.